there's a better way to answer on-farm questions with AgVisor Pro. Farmers are able to get answers now, not later, from an independent network of some of the best professionals in agriculture. Spend less time searching for those answers. Ask your question on the AgVisor Pro app and move faster and more confidently in your decision-making. Available on iOS and Android, head to the link in the show notes to download the AgVisor Pro app today. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Lisa Miller, a true Silicon Valley native with a childhood encompassing a captivating blend of rural charm and suburban allure, Raised by two remarkable parents, Lisa's deep-rooted connection to the land was profoundly influenced by her mother's farming background, shaping her perspective on life. Passionate about self-sufficiency, Lisa dedicated herself to growing her own food on her property with her family. This endeavor enlightened her about the crucial aspects such as soil health, strategic planning, and optimal harvest timing. Along the way, she acquired invaluable knowledge on effectively handling and preserving her bountiful yields. Eventually settling on a two-acre haven, Lisa and her family found solace on their new property. Driven by the heartfelt desire to help others avoid the stumbling blocks they encountered, Lisa embarked on a mission to share the wealth of knowledge gained along her homesteading path through her podcast, The Two-Acre Homestead Podcast. I am so excited for you to hear the story and the lessons learned from Lisa today. Before we get to Lisa's interview, let's share this week's listener review. This week's review comes from my friend, Shelly Secord, and it is titled, Love This Strong Canadian Podcaster. I look forward to hanging out with Caitlin and her guests as they share their egg work and life stories. I may not always agree with all of the opinions shared, but that's okay. Caitlin has created a community where respect for others is foremost and it is all right to be different. These ladies who are brave enough to step up and talk about their journey get my mind thinking and expanding. Thank you, Caitlin, and thank you, the Rural Woman Podcast community, for being a part of my day. Well, thank you so much, Shelly, for that kind review, as well as all of your support for the Rural Woman podcast. I truly, truly cannot thank you enough. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to our interview with Lisa Miller. 
Lisa, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to chat with you. I feel like I'm having a cup of coffee with a girlfriend this morning. So I'm so excited for you to be here. (laughs) For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Lisa, tell us who you are, where you're from, and how the heck you got your start in agriculture. (laughs) Well, mine is kind of a long journey. We'll, we'll We'll say it that way. Um, It started off, I grew up in Silicon Valley. And when I say I grew up in Silicon Valley, I mean, like, I could hop on my bicycle and ride to Hewitt Packard and IBM via bicycle, you know, at the age of 10. So I grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley. But where I grew up was, the neighborhood I grew up was kind of, it, it was kind of half rural, half suburbia. So literally I could be in my bedroom, look across the street and I could see cows because there was a cattle ranch um, that, that was right across the street from us. And actually all of that land was cattle ranch. And then down the street from us, I grew up from where there were cherry orchards. And if you're familiar with Mirasu wineries, if you've ever heard of that, seen it in the grocery store. The original Mirasu wineries and the original family we went to school with, elementary school with, they were right there. So I I grew up in a half rural, half suburban area. But my story actually kind of goes a little bit further than where I grew up. It starts when I was actually in elementary school. When I was in elementary school, I will, I can't remember my elementary school teacher's name, to save my life, (laughs) but that's okay. I remember what she taught me. (laughs) And we did this little project, you know, where you grow the, um, where you grow beans in egg crates. And that fascinated me on a level that I've never grown out of because I couldn't believe that I could stick a bean in the ground and it would grow and produce more beans that I could eat. And that just really stuck with me. Fast forward a few years, and I mean like about maybe five years from that, and um, my grandfather started getting ill, and he came from Tulsa, Oklahoma to live with us. And my grandfather had a 10-acre homestead. We'll call it a homestead. It was a farm, actually, but he had a 10-acre farm, and he was a butcher by trade. And my mom grew up, that was my mom's dad, and and she grew up in that environment. So when my grandfather came to live with us for a little bit, he went into the backyard and he saw this pathetic, you know, I mean, I was a kid, you know, what could you do when when you're a tiny little kid and you're trying to grow a garden? Because my mom thought it was really cool for me to, to do that. So he went into the backyard and he saw this pathetic little garden and he got mad at my mom chewed her out and then she's like that's not my garden and he goes what do you mean that's not your garden and she's like that's that's the baby's garden that's lisa's garden and so i i'll never forget to the day i die the look on his face he turned and looked at me and from that point on he started teaching me how to garden so he started and he was was a fascinating man because he I feel like he was ahead of his time because he practiced a lot of permaculture practices so like he would teach me about chop and drop you know just chop this plant up 
let that let that go into the soil and it'll feed it for the next year. He would teach me things like that. So, you know, the years went on. He passed away, unfortunately, but the years went on and I got into my career. Of course, I grew up in the Silicon Valley. So, you know, where my career was headed and got busy with life. And it wasn't until my mid thirties that that seed that my grandfather planted in my heart started to sprout. And, um, wow. Oh, I hope we edit that out. I hope they don't edit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a misty moment and we've only been doing this for four minutes already. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's, that's incredible. But yeah, that, that seed sprouted and it wasn't until my mid thirties that that seed finally started to sprout and I finally started to want to grow my own garden. And it actually started off with just flowers. You know, I just thought I wanted to grow some flowers and blah, blah, blah. And then that progressed into vegetable gardening and into homesteading. And here we are today. (laughs) Here you are today. The story that you have of your grandfather is so beautiful. And the fact that he was giving your mom the hard time about uh, (laughs) the the not so probably appealing garden, but knowing that that was an interest of yours at such an early age and how it's grown into what it is today. So what were you doing in Silicon Valley? What was your career before you made this huge altering life change that you've made? (laughs) Well, I've always had an interest in finance. Finance was always my my main interest, interest, but I got, you know, because I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I got into technology and I started working for IBM. And that's probably all I can say on that subject. But I did start working with them. <laughs> and um, till finally I moved to Arizona. And that was because, you know, couldn't live on my own. By that time, I my parents had moved to Arizona and I, my, me and my brother, we just could not hack it on our own <laughs> in Silicon Valley. The prices got really to be a bit much. So we moved uh, with my parents to Arizona and I switched over to another company, um, still in the tech, tech industry. It was a management at that point and, you know, traveled. Oh goodness. I traveled back and forth a lot at that point in my life. Um, I was constantly going back and forth to New York. I could tell you the the stewardess. I felt like I could tell you the pilot. <laughs> For, that's how much I, I traveled back and forth to New York, um, to the Twin Towers before 9-11. And then after that, I after actually 9-11, I decided to make a huge career change, partially because I had met somebody that I was working with at the time who wound up being my husband. And so we both felt it was just kind of a better situation. I wanted to go back into the finance industry. He wanted to stay in tech. So I left and yeah, I got back into doing finances out of all of that. Yeah. So what was it that made the final flip for you that this isn't what you wanted to do anymore and you wanted to focus on what you're doing today? I would say, I, I can't say there was a, there was a one aha moment There there was no real one aha moment. It was 
what really started happening was my health. I started started having a lot of pain and a lot of fatigue. And I couldn't figure out, at the time, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I went back and forth to doctor after doctor after doctor. And I started actually really having, even started developing some, in hindsight now, but some mental health issues even over what was going on with me. Because I couldn't piece it together. I knew I wasn't right. I knew I wasn't feeling right physically, but I nobody could tell me what it was. And but what I noticed in the background that was happening and it, and it wasn't really a big deal to me at that time because I was still working and doing other things and that was you know when I would eat stuff that came out of my garden I would feel better and I'd have like a month or two where I was eating a lot from my garden. You have to understand I was gardening in the heart of downtown Phoenix, Arizona. And if you're not familiar with Phoenix, Arizona, let me just put it this way. The summers can get up to 117 degrees, if not more. That's Fahrenheit. I don't know what it is Celsius, but needless to say, it's hot. (laughs) I mean, it's so hot. You wonder, was I bad? Did I do something wrong? It's hot, but uh, for two months out of the year, I could almost eat exclusively out of my gardens. And for those times, I felt really good. And so I started piecing that together that there was something to that. Didn't know what it was. And to this day, I still don't know what it was. Sad to say, I have never been able to figure it out. But what I started piecing together is the more and more I ate from things that I grew, things that came from my gardens, that's what made me feel better. And so I focused and honed in on that. And I started expanding more and more in gardens. And of course, like I said, it was gardening in the heart of of uh, downtown Phoenix. And so, so gardening in the uh, heart of downtown Phoenix, uh, that meant I had a really small backyard, like almost like a townhome. Actually, it was a townhome. So I had to start gardening elsewhere, other places. And then I got involved with a organization called Keep Phoenix Beautiful. And from there, that's where I discovered this passion of wanting to teach other people because I got to, I got actually a chance to be on one of the boards for that downtown Phoenix area. And I started holding classes and teaching people actually how to garden. And I started learning so much from people who were there, who were gardening from other countries like Africa, the Middle East and how they do it. It is fascinating to me how other people garden we all have the same results, but they all do it dif- well, do it differently. And so that's where I discovered my passion to do that. And then, of course, we moved to Tucson, Arizona, and had a bigger city size lot there. And we really took off on our homesteading journey then. When we moved to Tucson, that was, I would say that was probably the it time <laughs> is when we moved there. That's when we started having backyard chickens. We started learning how to butcher chickens. That's a funny story, butchering chickens in the middle of suburbia. But anyway, <laughs> but that that's what we did <laughs> and we liked it. <laughs> 
So from your move to Tucson, have you gone to a bigger size acreage now or are you still in the same place where you moved to Tucson originally? No, we have now moved further south. Um, We're still in the state of Arizona. We're in the Cochise County area and um, we're on two acres now, thus the name Two Acre Homestead. And we love it out here. We absolutely love it, minus the rattlesnakes and the centipedes, but we absolutely love living out here. This is this is what we've always wanted. That's amazing. It's rural life. That's so great. And it just goes to show you, even if you're on, like you said, if you're in the downtown core of a big city, you can still grow food. You don't need acres and acres to grow food. But, you know, obviously when you get to the bigger acreages and that kind of thing, you're able to expand. So talk to us about when you got to your current operation now, what it was when you got there and what it's transformed into now. (laughs) Oh boy. When we first moved here, there was nothing. I mean, and when I say nothing, I mean like zero infrastructure, nothing. It was just a field of two acres. (laughs) There was nothing. And it was, it's actually kind of funny because there was nothing separating us from the cows that were on the adjoining pasture land. (laughs) So every now and again, we'd get a, you know, a cow on our, on our property. It was wonderful. So we had to, to do everything on this homestead. We've, You know, first of all, I always tell people, you know, at this point, fencing, 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 fencing. If you're going to own a homestead with acreage, fencing, fencing, fencing. Because if you've got, you're going to eventually have dogs, animals, kids, anything that needs to be fenced or anyone that needs to be, you know, fenced in and kept out. So we had to install all of that. We set up a 3,200 square foot garden and actually... This year I'm redoing that garden, but we we're, we set it up when we first moved here. And we have currently 30 chickens. Yeah, we have 30 chickens currently. We've got soon to be four turkeys. We have two turkeys right now. She's sitting on two, two more. And so we've got a, finally our little turkey operation going. <laughs> I don't know why it's taken so long. Turkeys are the slowest animals in town. Anyway, (laughs) we've got a rabbit tree. We keep rabbits for both manure purposes and for meat purposes as well. That's something that we've taken with us from the city life. And we've moved that into the country. And we did have goats. That's a story for a different time. Um, we did have goats. We don't have them anymore. Unfortunately, we're looking at getting something else. So that's currently what we have set up right now. Yeah. The infrastructure part of homesteading, farming, ranching, or anything to me is probably the most intimidating part aside from animal husbandry, you know, not coming myself not coming from a farming background, like we had a house in town that had a fence. And if you needed to fix that fence, you changed a board or whatever it was. We didn't have to build things for purposes to keep things in or out. Those were already there for us when we grew up in town. And the animal husbandry thing, like it is a whole learning curve that 
you know, as adults, a lot of times you have to keep other humans alive, which can be a big job in itself, but keeping another (laughs) breed of mammal alive as well can also be a big deal. So yeah. (laughs) What have been some of the best resources that you've found in the expansion of your homestead? I would say lots of research. Google is your best friend. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to Google things. I read a lot. There's a lot of books that I like to read. I like, and and boy, this is going to sound weird, but I'll read anything from on butchering any animal that we decide to bring on. I get books, 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 books. Books are probably my number one resource. And I can't say, you know, this is the book, this is the book, because I have a lot of books. (laughs) So I can't name them off. But um, (laughs) I'm one of those weird people. I will, I'll read it, put it away. The knowledge is there. And miraculously, when needed, it comes up. So, (laughs) but um, the other, the other thing too is YouTube. I also like looking at different YouTube videos to see how other people do them. And a resource that I find, this is kind of old school, this might be dating me, but I know a lot of people don't like this platform anymore, but Facebook, Facebook groups, you know, get to know your local groups because when that's what we did when we first moved here to this property, I started researching different Facebook groups that I could be a part of because even though all of the animal husbandry is going to pretty much be the same, no matter, you know, where you go, but there are small nuances to climate, to, you know, different things. Like for example, there might be different varieties of weeds that grow in a particular area that, that you may not want in another or that you may not want an animal to eat. So, you know, the this weed variety may grow in this particular region and it may not grow in this region. And, you know, you don't want bloat in your animals, like, you know, your goats or your cows or what have you. So getting to know those different groups and getting to know other people that grow and raise animals in your area is priceless. Right. I, I, if Facebook groups are dating you, then I'm also being dated because that's <laughs> that's where I've learned and connected with people. And, and like you said, specifically in your local area, I think is brilliant. And if you know if you need something, people know your area; they know where you can get things if you need them. So I'm I'm right there with you, being dated in the Facebook <laughs> groups. So. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I'm good company. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I want to know more about your 3,200 square foot garden. Like that, that to me blows my mind when I think of how big that actually is. What are you growing in there? And what are some of your favorite things to grow? What is growing there? And what is not growing there for you? <laughs> you know, I have to preface this by saying, we are in Southern Arizona and we are in high, high elevation. So my, technically my growing zone is supposed to be 7B or 8A. I think I'm more of the 7B just based on our general location of this property. So I don't relate to other Arizonans very well, (laughs) but in my garden right now, right now, as of the recording of this, I've got 
pretty much all my brassicas are out. So I've got my cabbages, I've got my broccolis, I've got my alliums are out. So that is my shallots, my onions, garlic. Last year, I had all kinds of melons, watermelon, regular melons, cucamelons, cucumbers, all of those guys. Corn has been the bane of my existence on this property. I don't get it. I don't understand. So I'm going to give it a go. I'm giving it a really hard go this year. And if it doesn't work out, then we're just going to have to walk away from corn. But uh, tomatoes is another one that has been really finicky for me here. And that is my my learning curve of living here because I'm used to gardening where it's like god awful hot and I'm used to growing tomatoes that are are accustomed to that and so learning how to grow tomatoes that are <laughs> I hate to put it this way normal air quotes <laughs> that you know just take the normal heat because we don't get over 100 degrees where we are here. So the normal tomatoes is kind of a challenge for me, but uh, I'll get it this year. This I feel it this year is the year. But um, yeah, I have pretty much everything growing, lots of stuff, herbs, a ton of stuff, enough to feed my family of four through the winter yeah. is what I, what I do. And to me that, you know, some people might think that's not a lot, But that's a lot. Like to be able to provide that for yourself and for your family, that is a skill that I think a lot more people would like to have. So kudos to you for figuring that out. And, you know, I I can't figure out corn either. (laughs) And I live in a place where people grow corn for a living. I am not that that person. So yeah. Well, it's funny. I could go. I could grow corn in Phoenix, and and I grew it okay in Tucson. Moved here, uh-uh, won't no. grow for me. I'm like, not you know, but maybe we're just not friends here. It's <laughs> okay. okay. So, besides the corn lesson, what have been some of your other biggest lessons that you've learned through your journey to where you are today on your homestead? That's a funny question because I just recently, somebody recently asked me something similar to that. And and I would have to say my biggest lesson is do less, surprisingly. Do less. I think for myself, and, and it just could be my personality that I, when I'm on board with something, I'm like, woo, look out, here she comes. I go full bore on things. And what happens is, is you experience burnout. And burnout's a real thing. And, you know, when you just do a little bit here and there, you you don't have to go out and conquer the world and then fall flat on your face. Go out and just sow some seeds, let them grow, but do it on the scale that you can handle it. Don't do it on the scale that, you know, I'm going to just grow everything that I possibly can. Because the truth of the matter is to get to this point, to where I am today, I've fallen so many times, whether it be quite literally where I can't get out of bed because I'm so tired, because I'm so worn out, or because I'm so discouraged and so down that, oh man, you know, Lisa, Lisa zero, the weeds, the weeds won this year. You know, that was me last year. It was like the weeds won, you know, 
taking things slowly when you're starting to learn how to homestead, when you're starting to learn how to garden or any anything on that subject, just do it slow. Don't don't do it all at once. If you plant three things this year, you're doing a lot better than the person that plants nothing and is going back and forth to the grocery store. You've at least planted three things. That's progress. So, right. I think that's so true. And that can be, I think that can be said on any project that people are dreaming of rurally. I know when I started gardening, we started with five tiny boxes that a a friend of ours built. And they were basically wildflower seed trial boxes that we had that we wanted to try. So that was my first year. And then the second year, I was like, well, I don't want to grow flowers in here. I want to grow vegetables. And so I did that. And then it was like, okay, well, I did it that year. Let's expand even more and more and more and more. This year, at the time of this recording, I have not sown a seed. I have not thought about bringing out my seeding stuff. I don't even know what is in my box of seeds because I knew from the winter that I've had I was not going to be capable of starting seeds this year for my garden. And my garden Mm -hmm. feeds us recreationally. I still go to the grocery store. I have a whole crew of people to feed. I'm not that great of a gardener. So I know that, you know, I'm probably not going to make it through the winter with most of this stuff, but it's more of a hobby for me. And knowing that about myself and knowing that it's a hobby and it's not a necessity for me to start seeds myself. I will happily go to the local greenhouse this year and buy all of the wonderful starts that all of those people work so hard (laughs) to grow for me. And I'm going to do that for myself as a gift because that is Mm -hmm. called grace. And exactly. I think we all need to give ourselves a little bit more. (laughs) Honestly, I I really think we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, for some reason, I think as, as homesteaders, there's this thought process that it, there's a, there's a thought process or an expression that people say, oh, you have to be a purist. No, you don't. No, because any progress is good progress. And you don't have to do all the things to, to be a homesteader. You've got to just do a little bit at a time because it took you a little bit at a time to learn all of everything else. So why do we have to so aggressively pursue homesteading? Like the, you know, well, the world is on fire practically. Sometimes it feels like it, but you know, I'm just going to use that expression. Like the world is on fire, (laughs) but um, you know, and it's okay to try something to, to your point, it's okay to try something and say, you know what? I can't do this. That's what happened to us. When I, when I talk about our goats, we had goats because I wanted dairy animals here on our property. And I just couldn't hack it. I did not have the bandwidth with two little children. I just, mom just did not have the bandwidth to milk something, take care of an extra animal and my kids and everything else that's going on. I didn't have bandwidth for it. So I had to say no, and that's okay. That is, that's perfectly okay. So like for you this year, you're probably not going to garden. That's okay. That the, the world is still going to spin. 
And there's always next season. There's always either the fall or there's always next year. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) You know, something that my husband said to me, it was our second harvest and it snowed all over our crops in September that were still standing in the field. And I can remember just feeling absolutely defeated because we had worked so hard to stand there and see that our crops were toppling over with snow on top. And I just, it it was, I couldn't believe it, which makes no sense because we have absolutely no control over the weather and all of the things. And something that he said to me was like, it's okay because, you know, we'll get through this, we'll get it done. And there's always next year. So as long as there's always that next year in the back of your mind, like maybe goats didn't work for you at that stage of your life. You know, maybe when your kids are older, they could do it again. And I just think that people are so afraid of trying something and it not working that they're just too afraid to do it at all. And that makes me really sad because think of how many more things, how many good things can come out of the dumpster fire world. (laughs) There could be if the people who had it on their heart to try something just did it. And again, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Try something else. Try something differently. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because you think about it, it's like, how many times do things not work out in life? You know, it's it's okay. It's okay to try. It's okay to fail. You learn more by failing or to put it more simplistically, you learn better by saying, I've tried something. It didn't work because now you know the why it didn't work for you. And that helps you make better decisions going in the future. So it's like, like for us with goats, you know, I didn't know that that would suck, you know, the bandwidth out of me to, to at least do that. So now I know what the next time when I feel like I can do that, I know what I'm looking for. I know how to do it better. But if I just, went in and just kept going and saying, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing this because I'm a homesteader and I'm just going to milk these goats and, and everything else. I would be so bitter. And then who would be affected? Not just me, but the goats. So, you know, it's okay to say no. It's better to say, you know, I can't do it. I just, that's okay. You know, I need, I need 10 more minutes, you know, to snooze so that I can face my day. (laughs) It's okay to say no. (laughs) Especially to goats. It's okay to say no. Like I know we all make it sound like it's a really great idea, but you know, (laughs) it's okay to say no to goats. (laughs) It is. You have to say no to them a lot. Actually, It's very true. Very true. (laughs) They are fence breaking, funny little individuals. (laughs) Very true. Are you a woman who works in or has an interest in agriculture? Do you find yourself longing for a supportive community that understands the unique challenges you face in the industry? Well, look no further than the AgVisor Pro Women in Agriculture community. AgVisor Pro is here to welcome you with open arms, whether you're a farmer, rancher, researcher, or advocate for agriculture. 
Their goal is to create a vibrant community where women can come together, ask questions, share experience, and exchange knowledge and resources. The team at AgVisor Pro recognizes the strength and resilience of women in agriculture. They understand that you deserve a platform to empower and inspire you to succeed in your career. By joining this community, you'll have the opportunity to build meaningful relationships with other women in the industry and together advocate for the future of agriculture. At AgVisor Pro, they firmly believe that by uniting as a collective, we can support each other's growth, learn from one another's experience, and ultimately cultivate a stronger and more inclusive agriculture industry. AgVisor Pro welcomes women of all ages, backgrounds, and skill level who share the same passion for agriculture. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, you'll find a place where your voice is heard and your journey is celebrated. So join the AgVisor Pro Women in Agriculture community today by heading to the link in today's show notes to download the AgVisor Pro app and experience the power of a supportive network that believes in your potential. Together, we can cultivate a brighter future for women in agriculture. Lisa, tell us about your podcast. So my podcast is the Two Acre Homestead, and it's a podcast you hear mostly from me. Sometimes my husband jumps in on it, and we'll do that together, especially when it comes to animal husbandry. He's the chicken man. He loves his chickens. <laughs> Anything about chickens, he's he's the guy to hit up there. But yeah, you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Um, we're all over the place these days. <laughs> what made you decide that this was a journey that you wanted to go on in the podcasting realm? I, You know what? I really, I thought, to be honest with you, doing a podcast would be easier for me and fun because I could talk to people like you, to people that, you know, I like <laughs> to, to, you know, to interact with people in a different way. And it's, it's always been in my heart to teach people a little bit about homesteading, a little bit about how, and to inspire people how to do it, how to do it without falling flat on your face and without that burnout. That's, that's really what drives me is really wanting to teach people you can do this without killing yourself. You don't have to kill yourself to homestead, you know? And so that's really what drove me to want to do the podcast. And that's what continues to drive me to do the podcast. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, it's funny to me. There, there are conversations I have with people and I just think to myself, I would have, I would have never had this conversation if I wouldn't have had the courage one day to Google how to start a podcast and to, you know, share stories. And obviously I've been doing it for, for many years now. And I'm still, I'm never tired of hearing how people are doing things, why people are doing things and what inspires people to do things. And, you know, the fact that you want to share with people that you can be curious and you can live your passion and you can do all of these different things without the burnout part of it. I think that to me is the most special part because y'all, we're tired. It's 2023 <laughs> and we are tired. tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> 
In more ways than one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, the Two Acre Podcast is available wherever you hear the Rural Women Podcast. So friends, be sure you check Lisa Lisa's podcast out and uh, give her a download, give her a follow, all of the things. So you can learn how to do all of the things without being so damn tired. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Lisa, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think the most rewarding part about being a rural woman is not just being a rural woman, but being a rural mom. I am super duper happy that I get to raise my sons in pretty much the same environment I grew up in, in a rural um, environment. They open up their their blinds in the morning. They look at cows. They know where their food comes from. I can ask my oldest son, "Can you where do peaches come from?" And he knows exactly where they come from. They come from trees. Really raising that next generation to know where their food comes from, how to grow their own food, and how not to be afraid of anything and to be curious and to explore their interest. That's the number one thing for me. Yeah, those are all good things. And those are some lucky kids. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? They can follow us on Instagram at uh, the Two Acre Homestead. And also they can uh, check us out on YouTube. If not our podcast, we prefer the podcast, but you can also check us out on YouTube at the same handle, uh, the Two Acre Homestead and our website, thetwoacrehomestead.com as well. I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.
This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon.